Well, popular culture has given us many lovable aliens. Need some proof? How about Alf? Alf is a lovable alien. Uh, the, the wisecracking Muppet Alf from 80s television, a lovable alien. Uh, we, we, but there's some others besides just Alf. What about E.T.? E.T., lovable alien. Uh, wanted to just phone home. Spent so much time of, of his time on earth just trying to find that connection back to the mothership. E.T. wanted to phone home. What, what about Gazoo? Uh, the great Gazoo from the old Flintstones cartoons. Um, if you thought that that was a non sequitur with the plot line of the Flintstones, you'd be right. What is a Martian doing in Stone Age? But they were driving with their feet, so it all made sense. But Gazoo was there. He's a lovable alien. Uh, what about Mork from Ork? Nanu Nanu. Lovable alien. Um, how, how about uh, Mr. Spock? A Vulcan with all kinds of wisdom. Lovable alien, Mr. Spock. Uh, how, how about the cast of Third Rock? Again, lovable aliens. All of them were aliens with the exception of Jane Curtin, who actually played an alien as a conehead. All lovable aliens. Uh, popular culture has given us many lovable aliens. Another lovable alien that maybe you hadn't thought about, Senior Pastor Bruce Hess. Lovable alien. Uh, he told me he was going to Hilton Head this weekend. He may just be going to Roswell to some kind of reunion. Um, but we, we think about that. What, what does that mean? I mean, that Bruce Hess is an alien. Uh, I'm not taking a shot at him in his absence. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it's actually a term of endearment. Uh, to say that he is an alien is to echo what the scriptures say when it says that all believers are aliens on this earth. Uh, the dictionary.com lists at least four definitions of alien. It, an alien is a resident born in or belonging to another country who has not acquired citizenship by naturalization, a foreigner. A person who has been estranged or excluded in a creature from outer space, an extraterrestrial. By saying that we are aliens, what does the scripture mean? I think that the scripture means something akin to one. That we have a identity that is attached to something other than this planet. We have an identity that is attached to something larger than the country in which we reside. And, and according to that line of thinking, the Bible accurately terms all believers in Christ as aliens. Now, why do I mention all of that? I mention that because right now we are concluding a three-week series called Too Taboo to Talk About. We've been talking about two subjects which are um, too taboo to talk about at dinner at times, religion and politics, and how do those two topics intertwine. And as Christians who live in the middle of an election year in America, how do we live by faith through the integration of those two topics? And we've been walking through this series in three parts. Uh, we started two weeks ago and we looked at a Christian understanding of government from Romans chapter 13 that said that governments are instruments of God's grace to do good here on the earth for us. Uh, and that we should submit to them. And then last week, we, we looked at the issue of civil disobedience in the Christian. If we're to submit to government, is that a principle that ever has exception? And we, we saw that there is an exception to submitting to government. And that is if the government would require us to break a direct commandment from God. And if the government ever required us to do that, then we would be right to obey God rather than men. And we talked about that last week. 
Uh, This week we're going to be talking about what it means to live the life of a resident alien. If the scripture calls us an alien, and yet we also hold citizenship to a country like the United States, how do we reconcile those two thoughts? What does it mean to be an alien as we integrate these two topics? And we're going to look at that this morning as we talk about two taboo to talk about, living the life of a resident alien. And we're going to look at, uh, really, our, our message is going to be in three parts. And those three parts are going to unfold from the three New Testament uses of the word alien. So that's where we're headed. The first thing that we're going to see about our life as aliens is that we are not aliens in God's kingdom. That we are not aliens in God's kingdom. If you've got a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is a, a great section of Scripture that teaches us many things. Uh, but, it, but embedded within this passage is the call that we are... There's something about alien and Christians. And it, it, beginning in verse 11, just to get the context, says this. says, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. See, this letter was written to the Ephesians, Gentiles. And the Gentile people of Ephesus were wondering how they might be able to have a relationship with God. Do they have to become Jewish in order to do that? And... Paul begins in verses 11 and 12 by reminding them that there was this distinction that once existed between Jews and Gentiles. Then he goes on in verse 13 and says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. And then in verse 19, he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Now, in those verses, uh, Paul is addressing these Gentile Christians who were, being, who were trying to be convinced by Jewish Christians that there was a distinction between them. Uh, that distinction was reinforced by even the architecture of the temple and the tradition which had said that no Gentiles could enter past a certain dividing wall within the temple. In other words, the Gentiles were over here and the Jews were over there. And what Paul writes to tell them is that in Christ, 
that dividing wall that once existed has been symbolically done away with. In other words, in Christ, there no longer should be a distinction between Jewish and Gentile Christians. In Christ, both Jewish and Gentile people of descent are one in their worship of Christ. There is now one way to approach Him, and they come on equal footing. In other words, Gentile Christians, if you once felt like an alien or a foreigner in your worship of God, because you once had to stand on that side of the wall, in Christ, you now have full access to God. Though you once were an alien, in God's kingdom, you now are an alien no longer. And what Paul was trying to communicate to them was there are no aliens within God's kingdom. The point for us, I think, is that there are no aliens in the church today. The, the intention of, of God's commandments is that there would be no aliens in the church today. There should be no one here among us who has embraced faith in Christ that should ever be treated as second class, second rate, discriminated against in any way. That's not God's intention. There are no aliens. There are no foreigners. There are no estranged people within God's kingdom. We all have equal access to God. In in Ephesus, it was the Jewish-Gentile distinction. And in our world today, it can be any number of things. Any number of things that can cause us to want to create two classes of Christians that exist on the earth. I think that's important for us to remember as we live in this election year. I think it's very important for us to remember because I think that it's possible for us as believers who gather in this one place, for us to want to make people of a certain political party feel like an alien in our midst. To make people who are who have supported one bill or one position to feel like an alien within our midst. I think it's possible for us to make those who voted for one particular candidate to feel like an alien within our midst. Let's just be very, very blunt. In, in, this, in this area of the country, it is very common for people to equate Democrats with Christians, right? No. In this area of the country, it's very common for people to equate Republicans with Christian. Now, this is a unique thing. If you go to the coasts, if you go to various places, that, that's not necessarily the case. But it's very common for in this area of the country for those two positions to be equated in some way, shape, or form. And so that if you support Barack Obama for president, or if you support Hillary Clinton for president, it's very possible that come November you might want to feel a little like an alien among God's people when it comes to that position. I think that what God's Word wants to remind us of is that that should never, ever be the case. It should never, ever be the case that because of a political affiliation that a person would feel like an alien within God's kingdom. More specifically, Wildwood Community Church would be in sin if you felt like an alien within our midst because of a candidate that you supported. 
And, and this is this is why uh, I, I really believe that um, one of the reasons why that's true is that God's Holy Spirit resides within the hearts of every believer. And that's what is spoken of in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are a, a temple that the Holy Spirit has come to reside within. And I think that as we think of the implications of that, I ought to have enough faith in God to trust that as you pray through and look at issues related to the election, and as you pray through and look at issues that are non-essential to our faith, that God can guide you. He might highlight different issues in your eyes than He does in mine that could allow two believers in Christ to vote two entirely different ways. And you know what? I, I need to believe that God is big enough to allow that. And you need to as well. That as believers in Christ, we should not look to find our unity in a political affiliation, in a candidate, in a vote. Our unity is not found in that. Ephesians 2 clearly says that our unity is found in Christ alone. And if we decide to try to form our unity on any other foundation, we'll fracture the church. It's true in politics. It's true in lots of areas. Think of all of the non-essential issues of the faith that divide believers all the time. Cause people to become angry and want to come to blow. They're non-essential issues that are out there. If we try to make a non-essential issue central, we'll divide the church. Uh, it would, you know, I've, I've been a pastor through a few election cycles now. And it saddens me every time to think that we might divide the church over a non-essential issue like that. There should not be aliens within God's kingdom. Because we are one in Christ. We need to remember that. We need to appeal to that. If we have a disagreement over an issue like that, we can appeal to a higher level of unity. A unity that's found in Christ alone. The first thing that we need to remember is that we are not aliens in God's kingdom. Now, the second thing that I think that we need to remember is this. Uh, we are aliens on this earth. We're not aliens in God's kingdom but we are aliens on this earth. We're aliens on this earth. Uh, the book of Hebrews speaks about this in chapter 11. In the, the great hall of faith passage of scripture that is Hebrews 11. And uh, after talking about some of the great patriarchs of the faith. Uh, Abraham and Sarah. The author of Hebrews takes a pause and begins to give us a little bit of a sermon, a little bit of an application, a little bit of a connection to what he just talked about to our lives as well. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, he says this, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died, speaking of those patriarchs. So they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I think that... The author of Hebrews 
gives us that little exposition, that little mini-sermon from verses 13 to 16 to place the example of Abraham and Sarah into a context that you and I can understand. I think that he was reminding all of us that Abraham and Sarah never found the fullness of God's promise on this earth. They never found it. God said, go to the land which I will show you and I will give it to you. And they went and they walked and they, they, they eventually even set foot on the land that God was going to eventually give to the nation of Israel. But the ultimate fulfillment of that promise was something that they never experienced in that life. Why, why is that? Because God actually, even though there would be a, a physical manifestation of that in this, this land that they saw, the ultimate fulfillment of that would come in a city that was unseen. The ultimate fulfillment would come in the city that God was preparing for them in the future. In other words, their walk from Ur to Palestine was just part of the journey. When they got to Palestine, they still were not home yet. Ultimately, the promises would be fulfilled that God had given them in the future. In the city that God was to reveal. And in that way, they never really were home on this earth. And, and I, I say that because as we live out our lives today, we need to remember that we also are not home yet. Regardless of what all happens on this earth, we're not home yet. Regardless of who is in the White House and how strictly they follow the teachings of the Bible and how dependent they are on the Spirit of God, we will not be home yet. The ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to us will not be legislated out of Washington. They will not be legislated out of Oklahoma City. And they will not be legislated out of Norman City Hall. The ultimate promises that God has for us are future. They're a part of a city that is yet to be revealed. They're a part of our future when we go to be with God face to face. We're aliens on this earth in that we don't look to the things that happen here and now on this earth as the ultimate fulfillment of all that God has promised to us. I think that's, that's such an, an important thing for us to remember. Because in the middle of an election year, we can begin to think that Washington will have all of the answers for us. That if we can just get the right people in the White House, the right people in Congress, the right people as state senators, if we can just get the right folks in there, they'll legislate God's kingdom into a reality. Now, the problem with that is, the Bible tells us that we're aliens on this earth. That doesn't mean that we don't want people, and we talked about that last week, as that are shining light into a dark world. We, we want that. But we need to remember that ultimately, we're aliens on this earth. Even with those people in office, even with people that represent Christ's values making votes, the ultimate fulfillment will be future. We need to remember that. We need to remember that our life on this earth really is a long walk home. One day, we'll be home. But we're not home yet. We're aliens on this earth. In order to help kind of remind us of that truth, um, I want us to just walk through a little exercise. 
I'm going to mention a few things that are happening in the world right now. Uh, things maybe that are happening in your own life right now. And after I finish those, I'll ask us to remember. And then I want us to all say together, we're not home yet. We are not home yet. We are not home yet. For instance, if you watched the news this last week, you saw that six were dead in a university shooting at the University of Northern Illinois. A student came up to the front of a lecture hall and opened fire. Fifty-something rounds fired off into that, that room. And, and some thought is given that maybe we could provide legislation that could stop something like that. But I think we also need to remember we're not home yet. Uh, right now, there was a car bomb that was detonated in Syria, killing a Muslim leader there. Uh, that leader's uh, death has sparked the leader of Syria to declare a, a war without borders against uh, Israel and their interests worldwide. And we might think of what the political ramifications might about that might be, but I think that we also need to remember we're not home yet. Uh, many people are here today, and whether it's you or whether it's a loved one that you're close to, are struggling with some kind of a chronic illness. Uh, you have a hope that medicine will come in and provide relief or a cure, but in addition to that, I think that we also need to remember we're not home yet. Uh, it may be that you, you're sitting here today and, and, and you, you have a desire to see unity brought back to a relationship that is estranged. And, and there's hurt in your heart right now because you're estranged from a child. You're estranged from your spouse. You're estranged from your parents, from someone who is close and important to you. And as you, you sit here today, you wonder, what, what might we be able to do? Maybe if they read this book, if we go to this conference, if we meet with this counselor, and all those things might be helpful, but we also need to remember we're not home yet. Uh, you might be sitting here, you've got some deep hurt within your, your heart, some deep hurt within your life that you just want a momentary relief from. We need to remember, though, we're not home yet. Your greatest needs, your greatest hope, your greatest desires, we need to remember, we're not home yet. Now, as you watch the news, as you live your life today, not that we have a total otherness about us, that we don't think that God would ever do anything right here, right now in our lives. God certainly provides relief in our everyday lives. He certainly provides care for us right now. But we need to remember, we are not home yet we're aliens on this earth. And the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to us are in a city that He's preparing for us. And so while we can be interested in the political process and while we can engage in it, we need to remember we're not going to be home yet. We're aliens on this earth. We don't have to require that a government would legislate in God's kingdom because ultimately God's kingdom will come when it comes. Our home is a city yet future. We need to remember we're not home yet. The third thing I think that we need to see 
from the New Testament about this issue of being an alien is this. We need to embrace our out-of-this-world life. We need to embrace our out-of-this-world life. We're not aliens within God's kingdom. We are aliens on this earth, and we need to embrace our out-of-this-world life. Uh, and we see that, really, in, in the book of First Peter. In First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, this is a verse that we ended with the first week that we got together. First Peter was a book that Peter wrote to Christians who were scattered throughout the Roman Empire in a time of intense persecution. Uh, we talked about this at that time that Christians at that point in time had been accused by Nero, the Caesar of Rome, of burning down the city. And that was a crime that Christians were not guilty of. It was a crime that they weren't guilty of. So Peter writes a letter to encourage them. How does Peter encourage them? He encourages them by reminding them that they're aliens and by encouraging them to embrace their out-of-this-world life. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. What Peter is really saying in those verses is he says, hey, you're an alien in this world, and I want you to embrace that otherness. I want you to embrace it, and I want you to live it out. I want you to live it out in such a way that your lives have such a distinct character that stands in such great contrast to the world around you that people will see that and they will, it'll be point them back to God. And in the rest of chapters 2 and 3 of 1 Peter outline that. That's the general statement that their lives would have this other quality that would point people to God. And, and he begins in verse 13, he continues on and talks about how that will have an implication in how they relate to government. They will submit to governing authorities so that people might realize that God is great. Uh, he continues on and talks about the relation, working relationships. And that people would be excellent, Christians would be excellent employees so that people would understand that God is great. And then he continues on in chapter 3 and talks about marriages. That Christians should have exemplary marriages so that people could look at those marriages and see something great about God. And really what Peter is saying is, yes, you're aliens in this world, but embrace that alien life. Embrace that otherness so that it would have the greatest impact in the world around you. As they look at your life, they see that something's different and it points them to the origin. It points them back uh, to God himself. Uh, really, in, in, in some ways, uh, Peter is calling all believers, including us, to be ambassadors of Christ. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, Paul says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is, is someone who lives on foreign soil and represents the interests of his ultimate identity. An ambassador for America to Germany is someone who lives in Germany and represents United States interests there. And what Paul is saying is, as you live your life as an alien on this earth, may you represent the interests of Christ on this earth. That God would work through us to point others to Him. 
We're to embrace this otherness. And I think that the implications for us on that are are fairly significant. I think we need to remember that we're aliens and that we need to, to, to live into that. Our lives should look different from the world around us. Our lives should look different. There should be a contrast. We should have an otherness about us. If we look exactly like our culture, then we have to ask the question, is either our culture fully Christian or are we compromising in some way? Because we're aliens on this earth. We have an otherness to us, an other quality about us. Think about your own life for a moment. How is your life different? How is it other? Now, I'm not just talking about uh, physical differences. It's easy to camp there. It's easy to camp about physical differences. Um, this is common like in a Muslim culture. They really want there to be physical differences between them and others. So there's veils and there's uh, certain attire and there's certain language that you have to use and all those kinds of things. But what's interesting is the, the otherness that Christ talks about is not just external. It's not just look different. It's not just talk different. It's be different. Christ says you are the light of the world. That we are. That we have a different quality about us. Not just external. So what, what is different about you? What is other about you? What do you believe and embrace and care about that stands in contrast to the culture around you? I'll give you some examples of that. When, when it comes to marriages... Another quality in your marriage might be that you live your life in fidelity to your spouse, whether they are around or not. You live your life in, what, what I'm, not just would you engage in an extramarital affair, but are you the same person when your spouse is around or not around? Do you talk the same about your husband and wife, whether they're sitting next to you or not? Do you view the same kinds of things, whether your wife is sitting next to you or not? Is there a a, a similarness to that? And and that is the idea that God sees all things and God desires our lives to have an other quality to it. The world might say, yeah, you ought to be faithful to your spouse while they're there. You ought to be faithful to your spouse in physical senses, but what you see and what you think about may not be as important. Another quality to your marriage might be that regardless of who you're around, that you have the same level of fidelity to your spouse. That would be another quality to your marriage. Um, Another quality to your workplace. Do you always represent the best interests of your company? Do you work hard while you're there? Do you work hard even if your boss isn't looking over your shoulder? That's an other quality. Submitting your work as unto the Lord, whether a person is looking over your shoulder or not. That's an other quality. If you live your life, if you work that way, people will begin to notice that around you. Do you have an other quality to that? Uh, how about in the area of, of be- belief in terms of uh, spiritual truth? Are you embracing that Christ is the only way to salvation? That's what Scripture teaches. You know what? That is about as other a statement as our culture has today. 
We live in a pluralistic society that wants to say that there are lots of ways. But if we embrace what Scripture teaches, that Christ is the only way to salvation, then we will have an other quality about us. And if we embrace that truth, not just as our right to a private membership to the Christian Country Club, but as a mandate that ought to encourage us to tell others about this way of salvation, then we are living in other an otherness life, an alien life, an out-of-this-world kind of life. Think about your life for a moment. How does it look different? How is it other from the culture around you? We are to embrace that. We're to embrace that otherness, that out-of-this-worldness of our life. You know, we're going to be talking more about this in the coming weeks, but uh, Wildwood is is moving forward with this idea of a, a children's ministry building. Uh, and we've, we've talked about an increase in our ministry to kids. And I was thinking about this passage as I was uh, preparing uh, for Sunday and thinking about the, the issue of, of building this, this, this building and things. And thinking, how, how, how is our children's ministry um, different? How is it other? How is it alien in this world? Especially when we're going to eventually have a, a beautiful building. Will that building make it consistent with culture or will it still be other in some way? And you know what I, what I thought is, we have a rock solid belief among the leadership of Wildwood and among you and your hearts. That the only hope in this world for every soul including those under the age of 12, is Jesus Christ. And we believe that the foundational way in which people hear about Christ is from other people. And so we desire to have contexts where our people can talk to children in this community about their sinfulness, about their need for Christ, about the hope they have for the future. You know what? That is an other, out-of-this-world kind of an idea. It's an out-of-this-world kind of, the, kind of an idea. We believe that the hope for kids is not in anything other than in Christ himself. And as we walk forward into the, the future with this, uh, that's our desire is that God would use us in that way. Well, we've been walking through in, in three parts this series. I'm walking through uh, this issue of too taboo to talk about. Two issues that are too taboo to talk about. And we talked about what is a Christian understanding of government. And we talked about uh, when that principle might be violated in civil disobedience. And then today we've talked about our alien life. The life of a resident alien. And we saw three things. We're not aliens in God's kingdom. But we are aliens on this earth. So we should embrace that out-of-this-world life that God has for us. Um, Hopefully this series has helped to place in context for you uh, some of what God has for us as we try to integrate these two topics in an election year. Let me pray for us. Father, we uh, thank you for the time that you have given us today. And we thank you for uh, the power of your word Father, that reminds us that we are to be 
together and unified as believers in this place. But Father, also that we will always have some degree of disconnect between us and the world. Father, and as we live a different life, an other life here, Father, that you might use our lives and our example to point others to you. Father, we are thankful that our ultimate hope does not hang in the balance in any election. But, Father, our ultimate hope is securely fastened to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.